Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is uh, Mudiwa Gavaza, and for today, um, it is quite a special one, and uh, sort of following on uh, the theme, uh, some of the themes that we've been uh, looking at um, on this platform over the last, uh, you know, couple of months. Um, one of the things that has been highlighted, you know, of late is this issue of um, ESG investing uh, that has to do with uh, you know investing around sustainability issues of the environment social and governance issues and we've spoken to fund managers we've spoken to uh, a lot of people because this really does seem to be one of those things that uh, the world is caring about and i remember talking to the team from schroders in london um, you can listen back to that and they were saying that issues of sustainability um, in about 10 years time it won't even be a thing anymore because to be so mainstream you know, that it would just be a requirement. That would just be, um, you know, the way that uh, we live life. Uh, but when it comes to that, one of the biggest issues is this issue around uh, climate change. That is the big, uh, you know, the big global issue. And we had a big summit uh, that came out uh, recently. That was uh, COP26. We saw a number of different countries, including South Africa, going to, you know, represent themselves there as uh, the world is still grappling with this issue. Um, it's very interesting that even in 2021, you know, there are those, you know, that acknowledge and those that don't acknowledge, you know, uh, what's going on out there. So for today, we are joined by someone who, you know, on the face of it, you might not expect to be talking about something like this. We are joined by Michelle Manuk, who is the CEO. It is the World Call um, Organization. She is the CEO, uh, just to give us some insight into, you know, where they stand on this and you know very interested in this because like I said you don't really expect you know uh, someone like Michelle to be talking about this but you know she's uh, actually been uh, out there uh, talking a lot about uh, you know some of these issues Michelle greetings to you today Thank you, Madiba. Thank you for having me and thank you um, to everybody here who are part of this amazing forum that you've been running I think maybe a good place for us to start, you know, as I may have alluded to just now, um, the the somewhat, um, you know, unusualness of you talking about these issues. Uh, maybe we could get uh, a little bit of insight uh, just around the World Call uh, Association, you know, the type of work that you guys are doing and then, you know, how you guys have decided that you're going to, you know, take a stance on, you know, these issues before we, you know, get into uh, the meat and potatoes of today's discussion. Thank you. Well, uh, the World Call Association has been around for over 30 years, and it, it's really um, now evolved to representing coal producers, consumers, um, and suppliers. In fact, you know, lots of different people across the coal value chain um, from all of the coal producing and coal consuming regions. And really, I, I guess two years ago, when um, maybe actually a little longer, two and a half years ago, when I joined the World Coal Association, I think the the members at the time really recognized that the global deba debate on climate and how coal was perceived in that debate um, was really, um, you know, not, not accurate, not correct, and that they really needed to pivot in a way in which that we could communicate about the total contribution of coal. 
And so we developed what we called an evolving coal strategy. And it's been quite an important piece of work that we've done because it's been a piece of work of self-reflection. And what we recognize is that as a coal value chain, we will really need to find common ground because the issue of coal is quite misunderstood across the world. And we're going to need to educate on the continued relevance of um, coal to society. And I believe what I see that's emerging now as we like take this narrative out and really try and educate the debate in terms of issues of economic um, development, energy security, energy affordability, the role of coal and steel, cement, aluminium, um, the role of coal beyond energy, you know, in terms of new products like coal to hydrogen, coal to fertilizers, all of these things actually make up a very important part of the debate, which is about the role of technology and coal, um, and certainly um, becoming qualified to be part of the clean transition. And I'm seeing now more than ever an emergence of new coal players, and I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about that and where South Africa sits in all of that. And what, what what's really happening is that it's being underpinned by the UN Sustainable Development Goals because very much the new coal story is about um, – the development story and the importance of lifting people out of poverty, the importance of urbanization um, and all the things that really relate to modernization. And so I think this is going to be a very interesting time. And in particular, the most important voices in this time will be those of the developing and emerging nation. So that, that's been the work um, and the journey this last uh, two and a half years. Um, and obviously, we have a long journey to go. We all know the transition to a decarbonized future will take time, um, but it'll also take a lot of um, important thinking on what is a really complex issue to ensure that we don't have a range of unintended consequences that go to the heart of some of the issues of the emerging and developing nations. You know, there's a there's a lot uh, there's a lot that's actually you know come out of there, and you know that you've said. But if I'm understanding you correctly, you know, you're sort of saying that, um, and I'm also tying it up with something that I that I read recently, um, you know, which you which you authored, um, which is to say that um, which is to say that you know coal has taken coal as an industry as a product as a thing, you know, the the actual you know black rock from the ground has taken on a bad rep when it comes to when it comes to the issue of climate change and instead of uh, preaching the message of let's you know destroy the coal let's leave the coal you know you are saying you know the the technology uh, is there for us to continue using coal but in a different way a more sort of um, you know sustainable way as opposed to the pollutant nature that we've seen over the last couple of hundred years am i getting that piece correct yeah correct i i think we as an industry and i and now when i refer to industry i really talk about the coal value chain um, they really will have to unite because no matter where you are on the coal value chain you're now affected by that reputation that coal has and, and that you you know that you so well put at the beginning uh, so it's going to be quite important that coal really um, as a as that value chain really looks at the debate that's become incredibly binary um, and quite simplistic um, and, um, and and educate that debate with something that's a little bit more about um, technology about how coal will play an important role not just now 
um, but well into the future. And that's that's really the, the job of the coal industry to recognize what they want for themselves. Do they simply want to survive or thrive? Um, and I think the developing and emerging nations, the people of, that, of those nations would want us to be thriving, to be thinking in the ways that we've thought before, you know, modernizing our coal practices through technology, dealing with the issues of society the way we have. And I think we have to lean on our history and be proud of it and continue to do more through the available technologies. Now, no one's saying that, you know, there's not more change needed for coal, but there are available technologies for the coal players to start looking at um, and to actually start engaging with. Uh, but it's it's complex because it requires government and finance and investment policies to be quite clear in supporting all of the technologies required for all the fuels to really reach that decarbonized economy. Now, everything that you're talking about becomes very relevant in a country like South Africa, you know, I think mainly because uh, something that our audience may not know is that um, is that Michelle is typically based in London, but right now she's uh, visiting us in South Africa, and you know it, it's quite tough that she's uh, you know arrived in South Africa around the time when we're experiencing you know rolling rolling power cuts and you know load shedding that type of thing because directly that industry, the energy industry uh, that is powering our lights, etc., is primarily a a coal based um you know type of system so this discussion becomes you know very topical very relevant to what's going on in south africa right now uh but you know when you then take the broader broader look at what you are doing because um it's one thing to take on an established industry uh like the like the coal industry i think we've seen a lot of uh people coming up the greater tombergs of this world etc um you know you know talking about um these issues but to attack it from within you know this uh, you know seems like uh you know quite an interesting approach uh that you've taken and i'm very curious to then understand when it comes to the narrative then you know, how do you go about changing that narrative? Because on the outside, you've got people like us who are not technical, who just think coal is coal. You, 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 you take it out of the ground, you put it in a thing, you light a match, and then our lights switch on. Uh, but at the same time, you've got the entrenched sort of interests in the, in the industry. How do you go about changing that narrative? Because I can imagine that is a narrative you have to change from both outside and inside. Yeah, I think um, maybe I'll start by um, answering that by <laughs> by telling you why I took the job of the World Coal Association. Yeah. Lots of people have actually, you know, lot, lots of people actually ask that. It's one of their first three questions. You know, why did you take this job? <laughs> it's a it's a really good question. Look, I mean, um, you know, I'm a, um, a you know, I've got Asian and, and European um, heritage. I was born in Bangladesh. Um, my parents um, raised me with some really key values. They saw war. Um, they lost their livelihoods. They moved to um, Australia. Um, and when, as we were raised, um, we were taught the importance of things that we had, the privileges of the things that we had, like electricity and water and food and education. Um, and so it was very um, key to how we were brought up. 
Uh, and interestingly, um, I always say in speeches and, and interviews, the loudest voice in my head is my father. And when I was coming to make the decision to take the um, role, I was actually, I was, it was quite, it was quite an interesting tassel within myself because I could see the debate and it felt, you know, it felt so emotional and I didn't really know how I would engage with it. And it was really my father who said to me, you know, that coal is so important to millions of people. Um, and that's really the, the role, you know, that's the role, go and do it better. Um, and that's the, that's the job. And I could either just do a job or I could do a job that means something and, and coal means something. And so that's really helped me sort of guide my own thinking and discussions with my members and my future members that coal is very much a human debate. And it's actually, you know, it's not the kind of debate that's been minimized into good and bad. And it's that debate that we need to have. And when you start thinking about humans, you start thinking about economic development. You think about their lives, their livelihoods. You think about education. You think about health. And this is where coal is so important in terms of being an enabling factor. Uh, and once you grapple with that and the issues that are real to humans and the governments that govern them, like energy security, economic development, economic growth, then you actually have a more realistic narrative to build and much more to say. And I go back to the UN Sustainable Development Goals because I really feel that they're the guiding principles. And in fact, the World Coal Association, actually its members developed a set of principles on the basis of the UN Sustainable Development Goals, which is called the Responsible Coal Principles. And, and really for them, that's their everyday journey that they strive. And that's, that's more than just the technologies that support climate. That's about, you know, responsible mining. That's about poverty alleviation. It's, you know, it's about energy efficiency. And so I think, you know, everything that they're looking at is about how they can support society and continue to support society, as well as meet societies, you know, both their economic and their environmental aspirations. And that's where the World Coal narrative firmly sits. It doesn't ignore the environmental aspirations and the aspirations of Paris, um, which is very inclusive of all fuels and all technologies. Um, and it doesn't ignore the sovereign rights of nations and, uh, and their, and their right and their need to develop, um, and provide the, the right kind of society for their people. Um, and, and hopefully we're going to get to a much better place where we recognize that there are going to be different pathways um, for different nations. It's all going to look different. And that also means that coal's not for everyone. Mm. You know, that may not be the solution for everyone. And, I, you know, I think as a membership, we're actually quite mature about that. But for many, it will um, through the advent of, uh, you know, abated coal. So we need to we need to support that and recognize that. I like the fact that you you mentioned I guess that tension, that tussle that you had when you were first presented um, with the role, because I think that really helps, you know, bring up two, you know, very uh, pertinent questions. The first one is a curiosity on my end. Um, and the curiosity is, did the World Coal, did the World Coal Association have uh, the particular stance it has now? When you first took on the job, was this something that you came in and drove? Uh, that's the first bit. And then the second bit then becomes, because you guys are where you are and, um, you know, you've been around for decades, etc. do you sort of feel like uh, you guys are helping to move the needle in any way? What has been the impact or effect 
of uh, the World Coal Association stance, we know, when it comes to climate change and policy and all of that around the world? So the World Coal Association actually pivoted to the Paris Agreement. It's not been in climate denial. It, it did that very early, well before, you know, many associations did. And I, and I, you know, I really, it was actually one of the biggest reasons I took the role because I knew that the membership were already, um, you know, had already considered that and already knew that the role of technologies was going to be quite important. So that was quite positive um, and, and already existed. The work that's really been done in the last two and a half years is really to engage in the debate in a meaningful way, which we sort of just answered in the previous question. And, you know, we, we are, you know, even our, our own, our own chair is part of that change in how we look at the debate. You know, it's the, it's, it's the CEO of Tangela and Tangela is very representative of new coal and the new coal generation of players that are really going to be out there um, making sure that very firmly um, economic development and environmental stewardship are going to be on the table for us to consider. Um, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, as time goes on, you're going to see more of those leaders emerge in the World Coal Association. And certainly that's the activity and momentum now. And so to go to your second question, the impact, I mean, obviously, you know that we've been very much working through um, with governments in our advocacy work on, you know, in the key coal market regions and nations. We work very closely with the ASEAN Centre of Energy in partnership to make sure that good information is actually informing the debate about the competitiveness and, and realness of those technologies. And we'll be creating more of those relationships across key regions in, in time to come. And that's been very good to see that kind of momentum and activity. Um, and last Lastly, I mean, you can see in the language um, changing, there's always been a sense of, and you, and you started with this, you know, the phase out of coal. And now people are actually having to contend with the realities that we're seeing of high energy prices or underperforming renewables or just the lack of investment in, um, you know, in the clean transition. Uh, and I think all of these things are very much about a much more um, balanced debate that the World Coal Association has been pushing forward. We're very much about phase in. Uh, we believe, you know, in the spirit of Paris, all fuels and all technologies are on the table. And so really what we need to do is to look at all of those abatement solutions and support the diversity of systems, energy systems, and the diversity of technologies for industries to decarbonize. There is actually no value in not supporting an inclusive debate. You know, there's no winners in that. So inclusivity is key. And I think I'm starting to see more of that, more of that inclusivity, uh, more of that desire for the World Coal Association to take on that global facilitation role, to find the common ground between governments, between industries, um, because any divergence is actually not helpful for any of us really in this decarbonisation debate, but in particular for the coal value chain. Divergence is really a means of undermining um, some of the amazing work and opportunity that that can be, you know, that can be achieved. I think the moving forward part is going to be key. And I wanted to uh, maybe zone in on two words that you brought out just now, and that's relationship and that's government. Uh, because earlier on, we did say that you're joining us from South Africa. You are in the country, you know. So uh, how has been your time in South Africa? Who are you engaging with? 
right? Um, what had what had been the purpose, and do you feel like that purpose is still the same, or has it, you know, evolved, you know, whilst you whilst you are here? I, I, the purpose is still the same. I mean, this, you know, as I said, we've been on our own journey um, as a as a membership, um, you know, as a new narrative, um, and I think, you know, the the debate for coal to engage in the debate in coal, whether you're an industry player or a government leader, it you've got to be pretty courageous in this world um, to to engage in this debate. And I think, you know, when I came, obviously I'm here in South Africa to meet with some of those new leaders who expressed an interest to be part of this movement, um, this new coal narrative, um, and obviously, you know, very supportive of um, Minister Matashi here and his commentary and, and his clarity and, you know, really support that. I think that's very supportive for you, um, particularly on the global stage, but as well as other ministers who I speak to, I know are picking up on that kind of um, clarity and language. So, you know, I'm here to meet with all of you to continue to make sure that we um, build those partnerships both within um, that we can actually put on the global stage the voice of South Africa in a united industry and government way that actually informs that debate and really bring the key governments together um, in unison because there is a lot of common ground, there is a lot of common language um, and we just almost need to solidify it as our, you know, as our sort of global narrative. And 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 so so far, it's been very positive. I'm, you know, I, I think the the I call I, you know, I call it new coal leaders. Um, the the new coal leaders that are emerging, they are very clear in their mind of the importance to participate both in terms of that environmental stewardship as well as support their countries and they're living here and they understand it they understand the issues for their people um and and it's you, you know no one can bring the credibility to that discussion like the country itself you just can't do that without having the experience and so um i i feel that what's important and particularly the work that we're doing here in south africa and as part of the world coal association is really now not to allow the global north to lead this debate but to allow nations like south africa to inform this debate and uh, and in fact let's stop talking about it as a debate let's talk about it as solutions let's start informing the solutions and the pathways that will all look different for different nations and you know and to your original point about relationship I mean you and I know that relationships require respect and respect requires a, an ability to listen um, and that's really what we need to do we need to respect every nation's right to develop in the way in which they want to and we need to listen about the pathways in which they need to do it. That may not look like the pathways that some would like us to push, but that doesn't mean that they're any less relevant. In terms of building those relationships, the interest that you highlighted just now, um, because you do say that it takes, you know, beyond government, it's a bunch of stakeholders that need to come together on this. Um, how has been the reception, you know, um, how do you find the attitudes? You had already highlighted a willingness from the minister, but just attitudes between uh, the private sector and the public sector, how are you finding those in the country? I think generally, um, you know, if I sort of keep going down the psychology of this for coal, you know, we've lost our confidence, we've lost our way, 
But in the individual discussions, I think we all recognize and want to find a way through this together. Um, so I, the reception has actually been quite positive. Uh, the complexity is always to weave that together into, you know, some kind of, um, you know, united and, and to coalesce it. Um, but that's, that I think is the role for the World Coal Association. I think we can, we can, you know, build those bridges together. We can be the facilitator um, for those discussions and, and we can continue to communicate and educate about, you know, where those, um, affiliations exist across nations, and and we're and we're doing that now. You know, just through our membership is happening. The new members who are looking at coming on board, the discussions that we're happening. We've got, you know, our, our advocacy work is crosses all governments now, which is really positive. Um, so I think the reception is is very positive, and I think um, the industry certainly, from my perspective, the discussions that I'm having feel ready. Um, you know, they're they're ready for a different for a different discussion on coal. And uh, and now we just all have to be brave and, you know, take the step together. And and I think, uh, I, I you know, I really don't think there's going to be anything else to do here except, you know, find the courage within ourselves um, and the courage of those convictions to, to go forward. Now, it's one thing to have, uh, it's one thing to have courage, uh, but it's, uh, it's quite another to, you know, communicate that courage and what people are tr actually trying to do. Um, so I thought in this uh, last part of uh, the discussion, we could maybe get into a little bit of the confusion uh, that's come out of, you know, something like COP26 about whether or not, you know, coal is here to stay. And um, because I think messaging is important, I think we spent quite a bit of time earlier on talking about the narrative. Uh, but I, I think getting that clear, consistent message is important. And then the second bit that then comes is, um, you know, how has all of this phase in, phase out, you know, to a sort of debates affected the level of investment that we're seeing in the, you know, whether you're calling it a sector, whether you're calling it an industry, you know, how are you seeing all of that playing out, those um, those aspects? Yeah, I mean, a really astute question, Diva. Like, there's probably three um, phrases that have really not assisted um, us, and I don't think, you know, as an industry, we pivoted early enough, and and so often they the catch grabs. Let's let's start with your first one, phase out. Um, that you know phase out coal, and uh, and and so that's become a catch-all for just eliminate coal and replace with 100% renewables. I mean, everyone you know who's educated enough knows that that's just not realistic, or, you know, for me, for many reasons, and, and we obviously don't have the time to go through it. Um, but the counter to that is phase in phasing clean coal technologies. And so we are very much, and I know you've, you've read a lot of my work and I, you know, we've, we've, we've talked about that. Um, so that, that's probably the, the, the most important thing is really, if we go back to the Paris Agreement, that, you know, many nations, many nations actually said there was a role for coal and a role for clean coal technologies. And that's what they wanted to do. So the idea of phase out um, and the, almost the rewriting of that Paris Agreement has not been helpful. So we have to counter that with phase in. The second detail that seems to get missed is when they do talk phased out. Um, they actually you have to really go into the detail because they're talking about phasing out unabated coal. 
Um, and so this issue of unabated versus abated, um, we really need to um, work on that and make sure that the detail is is correct. So if you are talking about the phase out of unabated coal, then certainly for the World Coal Association members, that's something that they can support because they are believers of the, the technology. But a lot of things have to be, you know, come into play with clear government policy, clear finance and investment policy to enable, you know, people to make those investments in those technologies that exist today. So that's sort of the second part of the language that we really need to grab onto. And the last phrasing I think that's quite interesting and in fact I've um, it's been a it's been a big reflection for me is this language of just transition. And the language of just transition, if you take on the the global north's language of just transition, it's really about transitioning the industry away from coal to the new technologies, which they believe to be 100% renewables and finding the jobs that all support that and, and, you know, the pathway to that. But actually, for me, you know, what's just for one country is not just for another. And I think we're going to need to challenge the definition of just transition to really go back and allow for the diversity of fuels and technologies that, you know, Paris originally intended. Um, so for me, that's, you know, that's really important in terms of reckoning with the, um, the current debate and the language um, that gets used that actually paralyzes um, us sort of moving forward and sort of sticking in rhetoric and wordsmithing. And that really probably feeds quite nicely and segues nicely into your question on investment. Because when you have a lack of clarity that what we're saying, you know, in this transition is that all fuels and all technologies are required, then where investment um, and investment policy should follow is in its agnostic application of its funding. Um, and it should be allowing for all of those technologies um, to be on the table. And I think what we've seen from the finance and investment community, and many have actually now starting to, um, you know, put their hand up and really question the finance and investment communities, you know, some of their approaches and, and look at the um, the issues of green tyranny and greenwashing um, and looking at, you know, what is divestment actually done. And I think what would be much healthier for all of us is to actually move to a world where, particularly for the finance and investment community, where they have the government policy that's quite clear, um, that, you know, that underpins any kind of investment in all the technologies available and all the fuels that will be using those technologies. And, and if we can move to this place, uh, I, I feel that we'll have a much better chance of answering, um, you know, the, 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 well, finding, not even answering, finding the solution um, to the issue before, before us. Um, and, I, and I think that will be the reckoning now um, for all of us as we, as we move forward to really look at the reality of this transition and look at what that will mean. And what that will mean is that we'll need to be agnostic. Um, and uh, and so we'll have to see how we go. But there's a lot of work for all of us to do um, in order for us to really shift to that kind of very pragmatic um, solution focused um, way of, you know, working towards the decarbonized economy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot. There's a lot going on there. And, uh, you know, more and more as we talk, you know, one you know begins to wonder whether. Uh, this debate is really about the science or whether this debate is just about, you know, competing narratives about, 
you know about about the same uh, about the same product um so one of the things that is tied to all of that and especially um cop 26 is uh, the fact that you know, we do find ourselves in a situation where uh, South Africa is said to receive 6.2 billion pounds to help end its reliance on coal in a deal that was announced at COP26. So, you know, can you talk us through, you know, I guess your thoughts on that, you know, uh, is a hundred billion rand being thrown at the problem, you know, likely to achieve anything? Is it a quick fix? Is it something that's going to uh, likely work? Is it realistic to think that coal will be, you know, eradicated, you know, during these times? I feel like it's one of those things that you, you probably touched on earlier on to be like, there's no quick fixes, uh, but maybe just your thoughts around that 6.2 uh, billion pound deal. Well, I, I think, again, you know, it goes to your point, Madiba, about how we actually, you know, talk about these things. I mean, to end its reliance on coal, I think it, a better way of talking about it is that, you know, it's supporting a diversification of its energy system, its decarbonized system. And, and the, you know, we need more inclusive language. I, don't, I think anything that really supports decarbonization ought to be um, considered ought to be included in the discussion. Um, and then I think also when we're, when we're, you know, when we're looking at the sort of funds that support that decarbonization, it ought to include some of those clean coal technologies, which South Africa has also identified, you know, in its, in its, um, program and policies, including high efficiency, low emissions. So, when we look at any funding being thrown at decarbonization, you know, and as you, you know, let's 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 make sure that it's looking at everything. Um, and I, you know, we are very much in the World Coal Association. People would, you know, often find this surprising, but you only have to look at some of our members, including like members like Adani, who are very big in the renewable space and also very supportive of coal. And I think that's because, you know, we don't really lean into this either or thing. There is room for everyone and there has to be, you know, that is actually what a secure energy system looks like. And of course, we should diversify. That's important. I think the developing and emerging nations today have more choice. They are lucky and they should engage with that choice in a way in which they can continue to provide, you know, affordable and reliable power. But the idea that we can't have baseload um, power that would be coal with new technologies, you know, supporting its abatement, I think is naive. Um, and I think particularly for a country like um, South Africa, you know, coal will continue to be important and relevant. Um, but where we want to get to is really supporting its, you know, the, the clean technologies that, that support the abatement um, for coal to be continued to use, be used. So that's, you know, that's kind of the, the place we need to get to with all of this language. And we shouldn't look at it as a winners and losers or an either or game. It's a, it's an us game. And, and that's the one we should be playing. And I think, uh, again, you know, I, I cannot um, say this enough. It's inclusivity at every level of this, you know, decarbonization journey that we're all on. The main word is inclusivity, I think. And once we start looking at it in those terms, we take this binary nature out and we actually get to a place that's going to be a lot more pragmatic and realistic in terms of, you know, heading um, towards achieving, you know, those economic and environmental goals that, frankly, not just developing and emerging nations are striving for. Every nation strives to achieve those goals, you know, for whichever place they're at. Mm um i think this has been quite a fascinating discussion but you know in the interest of time we possibly have 
um, you know, room for, you know, one more. And I think um, the point of technology maybe helps to round up the discussion, you know, quite fully because um, we've spoken a lot about the narratives. We've spoken a lot about competing interests. We've spoken a lot about the language, you know, that's being used, you know, to talk about phasing in and phasing out, you know, what does eradicating mean? What does, you know, reliance on coal mean exactly? Um, all of these different factors that people are grappling with. So the technologies themselves, when we talk about the clean technologies, yeah, when it comes to coal, what is actually available to a country like South Africa that has such a big reliance, uh, you know, on coal to actually make its own journey uh, down this path of clean energy? Well, certainly, I mean, South Africa has identified in its plan, as I said before, um, you know, high um, efficiency, low emissions technologies, um, otherwise known as HELI, and um, CCS is also identified, um, hydrogen from coal has been identified. Um, so they're, they're often the three that you hear. But there's all sorts of other, um, you know, clean technologies for coal that people look at, including, you know, coal to biomass coal gasification, you know, integrated gasification cycle. It's now starting to sound very technical. Um, but, of course, there's also pollution control technology for, you know, air pollution technologies. And there's all sorts of things there, like uh, catalytic reduction systems and fabric filters. And all, uh, I, I think, but I guess the point I want to make is that there are technologies, they're available and they're there and they're ready to be supported, um, you know, if the policies, both from government and um, investment policies, support that integration into um, the decarbonisation journey for industries um, and for governments. And I think, um, you know, that's incredibly positive. And, and some of those technologies are more relevant for some nations than others, but, the you know, there is a selection to be made. Um, and you're hearing and you will hear a lot more about CCS, um, and that's, you know, very much um, important uh, in terms of, um, you know, the sort of carbonization that uh, certainly coal um, power will need to achieve, you know, to be really part of the net zero um, journey. Um, you know, it will really need to look at CCS as part of its long term, um, you know, transition planning. And I think I think that's good. I think it's good that we're going to have that focus on it. We've seen you know, the International Panel on Climate Change and other key bodies come out and talk about the importance and relevance of carbon capture and how expensive it would be if we didn't consider and, and really deploy it more. Um, and as you get more deployment of these technologies, more scale, the affordability of these technologies, you know, happen. Uh, and so this is, yeah, the demonstration will really come in how we transition through these technologies and deploy them. And obviously the rate and affordability of that will really be dependent on really clear um, policies in, in, in all those nations that, you know, want to support um, those the coal and, and, and those technologies. So that's been us very fascinating discussion. We were talking, uh, we were talking to, uh, Michelle Manuk, who is, uh, the CEO of the World Coal Association, uh, talking especially on the back of uh, the recent, uh, uh, COP26, uh, you know, conference, you know, around issues of climate change, but more specifically coal and uh, talking about the courage that it uh, takes to actually, uh, take on an industry, you know, that is sort of steeped in its 
ways and try to change the narrative around that because you know she's saying that uh, you know rather than trying to get rid um, of coal as a lot of uh, people talk about you know their mission is to say can we find a different way you know to use coal you know making better use of technology you know to produce cleaner energies because um, a future of clean energy is one uh, that that doesn't uh, do away with one or the other but rather a concerted effort you know with the different types of technologies with the different efforts um, you know that people then take on you do get a sense uh, you know as you you're talking to to Michelle that a lot of this stuff she mentions language you know time and time again uh, to say that the way that um, things are spoken about and the words that are being used is very important and it's one of those things that might be in certain cases causing some confusion around whether or not coal is here to stay uh, but uh, the big message being that you know it's likely going to be a technology that's here for a while uh, but rather than trying to get rid of it let's find a cleaner way to use this michelle thank you so much for being with us today thank you so much this is mudiwa's take Quite a fascinating discussion with Michelle and uh, really brave. <laughs> I think that's the, that's the word I'm going to use because uh, a lot of the time the coal industry and uh, other fossil fossil uh, fossil fuel burning uh, type of sectors such as the oil industry have taken a lot of flack uh, for issues of uh, for issues of climate change. But you know this one seems to be quite an interesting approach to say instead of you know trying to keep the status quo let's change uh how coal is spoken about let's change how coal is used uh you know more importantly and to also just recognize the fact that you know coal has been a pollutant uh over all of these years but new technologies uh would allow for coal to continue being um a source of energy for many people around the world but you know it being done more efficiently at at a cleaner rate you know this is likely what uh, um, what economies need um, around the world and also that unifying bit because this issue of coal is something that's affecting people around the world in south africa it's particularly a sore point uh, because power generation is, is primarily driven uh, by coal in south africa so getting to a stage where we just say oh you know south africa is going to get rid of coal you know something like that is a bit hard to do uh, just because of the realities on the ground you've got like what 23 uh different uh, power stations across the country you know that are using that are mostly using coal and to then say that oh we're just going to get rid of the reliance on coal you know rather you know trying to find ways to shift those narratives you know is very important on the one hand someone might say that uh this is this is likely a move um to try to save an industry um that uh, was on its way out and you know that may be true but you know something like this does change the complexion of the discussion and anything that is forward looking um in any way is likely um you know a good thing when you're thinking about uh, you know power generation when you're thinking about the use of coal and all of that and at the same time it also lends itself to this debate 
uh, that's been going on around the world to say that um, a lot of developed countries were able to get to their stage of economic uh, development based on you know burning things like coal so it would be unfair uh, to expect that developing countries you know not use the same means you know simply because now people are you know trying to quote unquote take uh, climate change seriously so um, using you know cleaner ways of burning something like coal you know could be seen um, as a viable solution but like anything else we talk about you know some of the great plans um, you know that people have out there execution 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 is going to be really key on you know driving this discussion forward uh, because the more you hear someone like Michelle talking at something I mentioned the more you sort of see that this is sort of a battle more about narratives you know than the actual science you know so how you know things get executed in terms of messaging and then once the messaging gets through uh, execution on the actual clean energies are going to be very important And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight which is a multimedia live production. So for myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.